This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Hey, welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's the Tuesday edition. Doug Maurice, Nathan Barrett, Stephen Means from Cleveland.com. Rapid Fire. Got seven lined up from our loyal tech subscribers. And I'm excited because this is my first of my four podcasts today that I'm doing. I'm, uh, and, then, and then I find out tonight whether I am possibly selected for jury duty that might start tomorrow. So talk, talking and judging people, I just have a great week. Great week, start to the week for me. We want to dive right in because this is getting us back in the flow. And we are, we keep saying we're glad to be back in the flow on Buckeye Talk. We're glad to have um, our, all of our loyal listeners with us. And so let's just go to a golden oldie right off the top from the 585. Potentially the last chance for it. Can Doug make a case for DeMario? to make an impact with all the lost time and experiences for the incoming players. And also a candidate for the next DeMario, a freshman who shows huge flashes of athleticism and talent, but isn't going to be a regular starter or a contributor. So I'll start my case and, and people who may be new to the podcast and don't exactly know what we're talking about. This is DeMario McCall, a longtime favorite of mine and many other people who we've sort of been waiting to find a role. He's kind of a receiver. He's kind of a running back and he's kind of gotten caught in between. And now he's a senior and you wonder how he's going to fit in. And my only answer guys is that if Ohio state goes to more of like a NFL style, kind of like running back rotation where he could be a third down back. And I have a couple stats I want to cite, but like other than that, I don't. I just don't know that it's going to happen, and I don't know that I'm very persuaded that that him as like a third down back kind of thing would actually happen here. But it would be my best case, and I'll make it shortly. But Nathan, like, do you think there's a case? What do you think that we could see Demario McCall, who was a major recruit, talented guy, could he be a major part of the offense, or, or not even major? Could he be a part of the offense? Major part, no, but I think the, the role that he's still most likely to contribute in is the one he had last year, right, where he was more like a fifth wide receiver. If they go to five wide receiver sets, then I could see him getting on the field. I could see him having an edge, especially early in the season, over some of the true freshmen as far as getting in a role like that. And, but they don't and, do that. When they go five – They don't do it very often. No. They never have five – they never 
almost, I mean, very rarely would they, when they had Paris and KJ, would they have like a double slot. But they almost never, when they go five wide, it's with a tight end and a running back. It's yeah. not with it's, five actual receivers. Right. But I mean, he, I, I'm just saying that we did see him do that a couple times last year. I think that's still maybe more the role where I could see it happening. I mean, the third down back thing you're talking about, like I do, I think they're like down in distance scenarios where he might make the most sense of somebody to put on the field, maybe uh, partially because I think some of the, the, the thoughts of Trey Sermon in the, as a, as a big part of the a receiving game is still maybe more theory than anything we've actually seen him doing in, in practice, in, in practice, not, not football practices, but like through his career. So, um, but that, that, that could, that could change. And that may be the role that they want to just keep Trey Sermon in too, to, in those scenarios. So um, I, I still see it being a limited offensive role. I think he could have a big special teams role, but limited on offense. What do you think, Steven? Do you have a case that's any, any different than that? Um, no, but I will say there's something that Ryan Day said. And I think the last time we were actually in the same room with him, um, part of the reason why DeMario McCall had the role he did last year was J.K. Dobbins was just too good to take off of the field. He said that a lot of times last year. Um, I think that was part of it. And maybe if, you know, Trey Sermon or Master Teak isn't as good as J.K. Dobbins was last year, a.k.a. neither, neither one of them is a 2,000-yard back, maybe he does get that increased role that he would have had last year had J.K. Dobbins not been a 2,000-yard back. So that's the best case is if Trey Sermon or Master Teak just isn't nearly as good. And so you have to involve a third guy into the rotation but it's probably slow so uh, the 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 case that i would make would relate to and i like this i don't know if you guys follow this twitter account it's at next gen stats and they just on a it's it's mostly nfl stuff but uh but when they run through they just have like some good raw stats and they have some they have some fancy stats too but they'll put them out um pretty quickly on a sunday and and this would be my case for instance, and this is an NFL case, and it's the idea of if Ryan Day is running something, you know, that resembles an NFL offense. The snaps for the Indianapolis Colts running backs on Sunday. Uh, Jonathan Taylor had 66%. Jordan Wilkins had 25%. Naheem Hines had 12%. Um, let's see, there was another one. The Tampa Bay Bucks running back snaps on Sunday, Leonard Fournette, 44%, Ronald Jones, 35%, LaShawn McCoy, 18%. You're seeing that a lot. The, the Ravens are kind of splitting up their snaps like that. They have, and it includes J.K. Dobbins. They have Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins as kind of like the two guys who are alternating at the top. And then I think they're working in kind of a third back, a third down back there. So, that to me is the case. I, do I think it's going to happen? I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on it, but I think the case is that there's not a J.K. Dobbins. You rotate Master Teague and Trey Sermon as the top two guys, which I think might work because neither of them has ever been established as a number one back here at Ohio State, so nobody should have a problem with it. And then because neither of them are bell cow kind of guys – you do have room for a third down guy. Now, the thing that's at issue is that, well, if it's third and three, you probably want one of those two main backs in there because you might give them the ball. Or you might want a back in there that you think is going to provide better protection for Justin Fields because you're keeping the ball in his hands. So it's not like they're going to have a back in there, no matter who it is, where their third down play is going to be like a swing pass to the running back. That's just not what they're going to do as a go-to play. But I, I just, maybe the NFL of, NFLification, NFLification, NFLification of the Ohio State backfield 
in 2020, I think would be the only case that the door is open by not having a J.K. Dobbins and the door is open by Ryan Day having an NFL offensive mind. So I don't know. That, that I think is I, – I would love it. I would love it for DeMario. I just don't think he's a between-the-tackles back. I don't think that that's ever going to be like a normal tailback kind of thing. So I think it's got to be a kind of a wrinkle um, role for him. And I think that's probably the best shot at a wrinkle role. Question two from the 859. Football future topic. I think it's possible with Kerry Combs back that every year it kind of turns into who do you trust more? The third corner or the second safety. And that will determine how much single high versus two safeties they play. For example, this year, if Sean Wade didn't come back, then maybe they would trust Marcus Hooker over Marcus Williamson and they would play more two safeties. Next year, they could also end up playing two safeties a lot, depending on the cornerback room. So from the 859, I love this question. Uh, Deontay Lee and I talked about this again a while ago. You go through the feed. We, we dove into the, the ideas of one safety versus two safety looks for Ohio State. And I think I've come around to exactly where this texture is. And that the thing that you have to remember is that Von Bell in 2014 and 2015 was basically like a third corner for Ohio State a lot of the time because he could cover like that. And you could have two safeties on the field and you could bring him down and put him on a guy in the slot and have faith in that. So it's just a matter of, is that, does that second safety have the kind of cover skills that, I mean, it's just names. And we've talked before on this podcast, how words are meaningless. Buckeye talk, words are meaningless. It's just a name to describe like the job that you have. So whether you call that person a corner or a safety, someone's got to cover the slot. So it might be a true corner like Sean Wade has been the last couple of years, or it might be a safety like Von Bell has been. And then maybe if they don't have a slot in, then you're back in a two safety look. Otherwise it's more of like a free and a, and a, and a strong safety look. And you can bring that guy down and line him up in coverage. The one thing that I do think does evolve is that more and more and more and more and more and more and more teams have a slot in the game every snap. I mean, the idea, I mean, other than Wisconsin, but it's like most teams, your base personnel is now three receivers. So it's like, well, you know, how are you covering that, those three receivers? Someone, maybe you're in a zone and you have, you know, your linebackers helping out or the bullets involved, right? But I think that's going to be part of it too. But I think to answer the question specifically, I think my answer is yes. And, and Ohio State does move some guys between the corner room and safety room. Sometimes they bring in guys as corners and turn them into safeties because maybe they're rangy guys, but they do have cover skills, which is a great way to create a safety. So I think, yes, as we're trying to decide how does this defense look, I do think what Ryan Day wants to do, which last year was single high safety, will matter. What Kerry Combs wants to do, which he claims is multiple and he's adjustable based on his NFL experience, but also based on personnel. I think that does matter, will matter, and will affect the look from game to game to game and from season to season as we go forward. Nathan, I love, with my limited knowledge, I love talking about one safety versus two safeties. Do you think personnel will be a huge factor in what they decide to do? Maybe, but I also think, to your point, some of it is – it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter what they call things. Like if they had called Sean Wade last year, a free safety who just played at the line of scrimmage, I, I don't know that that changes what well, they but, do last year. I think. Well, but Sean Wade's not in the safety room. He's they're not, in the, oh, they're he's in the same the room room. now. They're in the same room now. So 
to, to come to that point, it probably doesn't matter because they're all learning the same thing. And as Kerry Combs said, you start them all at outside corner and you move them around from there. But the, all the defensive backs, as Jordan Fuller said last year, they're all in the same room now. So it's not like, you know, what Josh Proctor is – obviously when it gets down to technical things, he might be learning some things differently. But they're all in the same room now. So they all Josh have the same Proctor's time. job is a 1,000% different. What I am saying is all the defensive – it's not like the ones in a different room. Not at room practice. In at at practice, they're in different groups. The safeties and the corners do different things in practice. But when you're coming in as a true freshman and they're still trying to figure out where they're going to put you, you're learning a little bit of everything. I do think there's a difference between – I do think you learn different things in your position groups. Um, so, I, I like, the, it doesn't matter, but it does matter. I don't know if I'm explaining it the right way, but, like, the, Sean Wade was a corner last year. Right. I mean, there's no way Sean Wade wasn't a safety. So if they would have said, well, Sean Wade's playing safety, it would have been like, well, yeah, but. No, they would have said that Sean Wade, they would have called him a safety. What I'm saying is I don't think that the terminology doesn't necessarily matter that much. If you're talking about playing two high safeties, as opposed to the the three cornerback alignment that they used last year, to me, that is a pretty big stark difference and I don't I mean, everything that Ryan Day has told us was that that was the, the defense that he prefers to play so I think that is one of the questions kind of still sitting between now and, and opening day is philosophically is Ryan Day committed to that or philosophically is he malleable based on either what Kerry Combs would prefer to run and is more comfortable running and, and coordinating or like you're saying based on this the personnel differences. But I also don't know how, how significant of a difference is there between someone like Marcus Williamson and someone like well, that's not for us to decide. That's for Mark them Zucker, to decide. Right. right. But, but, but for instance, I mean, I think it would have been more interesting this year. This question would have been more directly interesting if Sean Wade had opted out. Because yes. then yes. I think there very much could have been a world where if you're putting your, your four best defensive backs on the field, your fourth best defensive back might have been Marcus Hooker. Right? That if Josh right. Proctor's yeah. a safety, Correct. it's like seven banks, Cam Brown, Josh Proctor, and then who? is on the field almost all the time. Is it Tyreek Johnson, Marcus Williamson as a corner, or is it Marcus Hooker as a safety? I think that would have very much brought that to the forefront. The fact that Sean Wade is back, I would imagine, right? Are we all assuming that the four best defensive backs are going to be Sean Wade, Cam Brown, Seven Banks? And then actually, and we noted this in the spring, Marcus Hooker and Josh Proctor, I think are in a battle for that safety spot. So is it, but are we assuming it's going to be those three corners and the winner of that safety spot are the four best defensive backs but I guess the question as it relates to it I guess let's answer it two ways what should they do and what will they do Nathan to put a fine point on what you just said should Ryan Day and Kerry Combs in collaboration their final decision should it depend on their personnel or should they have a philosophy and then they say well we're playing single high safety we're putting three corners on the field it doesn't really matter how good our second safety is because our starter is going to be that third corner. Which should rule the day, philosophy or personnel? My philosophy of football is that personnel should rule the day. I don't think you can – now, in this, in this kind of difference, right, where I don't think that the difference is necessarily staggering, I think you can, you can make that adjustment every year as needed, or you might even have to make that adjustment in year because let's think about this to the next level. I kind of wrote this down in my no, – the, the question that was asked made me think of a question like, is Ohio State's depth better at three cornerback positions right now or is it better at two safety positions right now if you had to start – if you're starting two true safety positions? And I guess – the and then on top of that, like what would it have been? If, if, if Sean Wade had not come back, I think the answer is absolutely 
Well, maybe not even absolutely. I think it's probably B, it's probably safety, but even then, it's still, we know that there's two surefire guys back there, and then after that, it's still a bit of a question mark. So that's the other thing. How much are you committing to two safety spots, and then if something goes wrong, a guy gets hurt, how exposed are you now that you've committed yourself to two safety spots, and you're starting a true freshman there or whatever? Steven, what would rule the day for you as you were deciding this? Philosophy and fit the personnel to it, or personnel and adjust the philosophy based on that? I think in the last two years, it's, it's got to be personnel because in 2019, the personnel it fit the philosophy perfectly. You had your three best corners on the field along with your best high safety on the field. This year, I mean, it's still up in the question of which is better between the two safety look on the three corners. So once again, personnel wins out. But I think as time goes forward and they start to recruit the position, it's going to be philosophy. You can look at the 2021 class right now. It's three corners and one safety. Because, you know, Jalen Johnson is going to move to Sam Linebacker. And so Andre Tarantine, Jordan Hancock, and Ja'Kalen Johnson, those are their corners. And Jansen Dunn's are safety. So moving forward, it will be philosophy as you get to recruit to that. But in the first two years of it, it probably is more personnel because you just have to go with what you have on the roster. And the other thing to remember, too, is that Ryan Day was in his first year as a head coach last year. And that may have been – it kind of synced up perfectly, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I want a three-corner – alignment at all times and I happen to have three first round corners potentially here like that that synced up really well for him um so he may reassess how committed he is to that going into a season where he doesn't have those three guys out there and I think they absolutely would have had to if Sean Wade wasn't coming back but that's let's remember for Ohio State fans of recent vintage the year that the Buckeyes had Gary on Conley Marshawn Lattimore and Denzel Ward as their top three corners they often played two of those three and played Malik Hooker and Damon Webb at safety. And they didn't play the three corners on the field together all that often. And there were times when Damon Webb got picked on as the lesser of that group because he wasn't a first round pick. It wasn't that Damon Webb was bad. It was that Malik Hooker, Marshawn Latimer, Garen Conley, and Denzel Ward were all first round picks, future first round picks. And they didn't do it. They didn't go. They didn't say, you know what? let's have all the corners out here. We'll, we'll let Malik Hooker handle this by himself. They played two safeties, right? Because that's what they did. Mm-hmm. Now go back and find a snap. I mean, I mean I, there was definitely a time. Oh, I have a terrible memory. I mean, there was definitely a game I remember where they put Conley in the slot on somebody. It was kind of a big deal. It was like, hey, like you're, you're trying to shut somebody down now. But it was like a wrinkle. It wasn't like a, we play a corner. We play a true corner on a slot receiver every snap. That wasn't where they were. So that's the difference, right? That was philosophy. And nobody was saying, hey, guess what, guys? Play single high safety and start your three first-round corners. We weren't saying that to them. It would have been like saying, it would have been like saying to, to Ryan Day, hey, uh, I don't know, like you have, you have three great running backs. Why don't you run the option? Get your three running backs on the field together. It's like, because that's not what we do philosophically. What are you talking about? We don't play three running backs. We don't play three corners. You know what I mean? So that's, that's what has shifted. That was why it was such a big deal last year. But I, I do think it's interesting. I do think, Stephen, your point of, I think they're in a transitional phase between recruiting to what Day now philosophically wants to do. And in the interim, you may have to go lean on what your personnel is best suited to do while you fully recruit the roster to your philosophy. And then your personnel and your philosophy will match. And you see that a lot with the defense. I mean, the bad word bullet. I mean, right now, the best option for what that bullet position is going to be is just a Sam linebacker, and that's Pete Warner. That might not be the case when Court Williams is older or when Desan McCullough and C.J. Hicks get on the roster. That might change. Could we just do it? What if instead of – so? Every, I mean, like, 
everybody always called them Sam and Will and Mike linebackers. Yeah. What if they just played Will, Mike, and Pete linebackers? It's like, oh, who's playing the Pete linebacker this year? Could we do that? And I understand it's sure. Mike for middle, Sam for strong side, and Will for weak side. I know, I know. But, but I mean, I, but if that's what we get to. Yeah, especially since they say Will and Mike are interchangeable. Why not just have the – And then the Pete. Who's the Pete? Who's the Pete this year? I'm going to ask that. I swear to God I will use up one valuable question on linebacker day, on linebacker interview day, when we only get a couple minutes with Pete Werner. I will use up a question asking Pete Werner if he would like them to rename the position he will play this year the Pete linebacker spot in perpetuity. And then I will make the case for that. Or the other choice also is also to call it neck linebacker. Who's your neck linebacker this year? Come on. He's going to be into that. I don't think you'd call it neck linebacker because of all the times where he like, he occasionally does have to drift back and take that high safety responsibility. Right. I think it's just neck. I think it's just your neck. neck. Yeah. All right. Like it's like, I have a long, I have like a long flexible neck. Yeah. Hey, they don't call it bullet linebacker or bullet safety. They just call it bullet. So he would just be neck. Yeah. Carrie, who's your neck this year? Come on. Can we do this? Can we have this be a cause on Buckeye Talk? Who's your neck? Buckeye Talk. Carrie Combs is going to punch me through the Zoom. <laughs> From the 614. Here's a question I'd like to ask. The injury toll in the NFL is mounting. They are of the catastrophic variety. Awful day on Sunday. A lack of normal preseason camps and preparation are being cited by some. How are the Buckeyes preparing for going months without brutal contact to all of a sudden facing Nebraska at full tilt in late October. So awful day for the NFL on Sunday. Saquon Barkley, season-ending ACL. Nick Bosa, season-ending ACL. Those are two Big Ten stars who were both the number two pick in the draft. Lost for the year in week two. Awful. Paris Young Campbell. Stars, like faces of the league, like growing faces yeah. of the league. Paris Campbell, lost for the year. Malik Hooker, lost for the year. Christian McCaffrey, out for like four to six weeks. The 49ers lost like five guys. Raheem Mostert ran 80 yards in the first play of the game and now is out for a month. Awful. And obviously, it's not coincidental, right? It, the idea that there was no preseason, that all this happened, I don't know exactly. Now, a lot of them are like their knees and stuff. They're not soft tissue injuries. I mean, I think you would – we're not doctors. I think it'd be like, oh, hamstrings, right, or obliques or – some of that soft, that's maybe what you would thought you would see. I mean, these are just knees, these are knees popping out. So I don't know exactly Well, a guy takes a bad step or gets hit, hit a weird way and his knee goes, how actually is that attributable to a lack of a preseason or limited practice? I, I'm not sure, but, and I know people talk about causation versus correlation. And I don't know what they're talking about when they say that. They both start with C. That's good enough for me. Just like cookie, cookie, cookie starts with C. Well, it's like, you know, what, is, what is the direct result of something and what just happens to be kind of tangentially associated with something? Like, like Paris Campbell's injury gets lumped in with all this other stuff, but he just took a he helmet right to the knee. Like there's nothing – I don't know how much preseason he could have done that would have protected him from that. But, but it, it gets lumped in with all these other kind of injuries that you're talking about. So the, the question is like what are they doing to prevent that? And then I think – the second question that is not asked that I would like to answer is what are they going to do to deal with that if that happens? Nathan, can we just give people very quickly again where practice stands at the moment and how everybody's kind of getting back into this? Because it's not like they're in pads today. They are going to have an easing in period to get to what should be, what will be a fairly normal full preseason. Yeah, so actually in terms of college football, I actually – 
based on what we know now, I don't know that it's going to be a significant problem um, because right now they've been doing the voluntary workouts for a while. They're already, they're, they've kept the workouts going. I State is holding workouts right now. Uh, they've, they've moved from 12 hours to 20 hours as a league last week. So they're getting plenty of this like ramp up time. You'd almost could argue that they've had more walk up time to the season in some ways. Right. I mean, they're getting, they already started the volunteer and then they're in this period now where they're still working up towards full contact. The, the league has said, Full contact won't start until teams have the daily testing. I think that there are some teams that have daily testing already, so I don't know if they have to wait until everybody has it to start. But Ohio State doesn't have it for themselves that we know of. So September 30th is the last day that the – the Big Ten said they would have it September 30th at the latest. So a week from Wednesday or whatever, they'll be, they'll be doing full pads practice with contact. So that actually still gives you all the way up until October 24th or 23rd, whenever they play the first games, that gives you – pretty much a full full contact time to get built up towards the season. So I don't know that from a preparation standpoint, I don't have a lot of concerns right now about college football, or at least in terms of Big Ten football, because I think that they have been they, – they've almost had more time to get ready just physically here in the last couple of weeks, you could argue. Steven, are you prepared for more injuries? Like just mentally, should fans be prepared for that? I mean, I think Nathan makes a good case that, you know, actually – you know, they, they're probably maybe even getting a little more practice, but I, I don't know. I, I still maybe am mentally preparing myself for like, this might suck for those yeah. guys from that standpoint. Yeah, especially, uh, I mean, if we're going to compare it to the NFL and these injuries happening in week two, week two for Ohio State is Penn State. And I mean, we all know what happened in the Penn State game last year with Justin Fields. But I think, yeah, you should, because this is the weird time to be starting football. And yes, they're having more time to, you know, walk up into a season, but I mean – they were supposed to start hitting, you know, months ago and they didn't start hitting because we all know what happened. And so you're still not on the correct schedule that your body would usually be on leading up into a season right now, especially when you didn't have a spring really to get a lot of this hitting in and you didn't have a spring game to at least get the thud tackling part of the season. And, and this is just a weird time to start hitting and it's going to get colder. And so, yeah, I am, I think that week two, and you're going to see fans a little worried that, okay, week two is when the NFL starts seeing all these injuries is college football going to see the same thing, especially in the big 10. Well, I would also say, though, the shortened season could lead could be more beneficial, too, because it's going to be less wear and tear on the body. You're taking, you know, three, four games off of the, each of these guys workloads that they normally would have had. Now, they have to play back to back. They don't get any breaks. But you usually in most seasons play a stretch of eight or nine games where you don't have a break anyway. So that's not a huge difference. I, I think that's another area where the Big Ten might actually be in better position come the end of the season, come the playoff to have even just a couple less games of guys taking hits, especially with that what could be for Penn or Ohio state, a pretty weak middle of the season where they get to, to give those guys more time off if they need to. The one difference being that though, if you do suffer an injury in week one or two, that was normally a, a six week injury and a guy could miss half a year, but still come back. That could potentially be more devastating this year. You're going to miss a, a bigger portion of the season. If not all of it. There's a lot of things that happen in sports and in life that are just, we do it because that's how we do it. Right. Why do they have 29 days to practice in the preseason before their first game? Why do they have five days of acclimatization before they have pads? Why do they play 12 games? Well, they used to play 11. Well, why do they say, well, if we added a playoff game, well, we could, this is going to be an interesting experiment, a forced experiment, right? But when a season starts, how many games you play, the lack of a bye week, what the playoff is going to look like, how you build up to it. I'll be curious to see if there's anything learned out of this. I mean, the fact that you didn't have spring football, that you had limited summer stuff, I think the coaches and the players will see where do they really feel it physically, 
schematically, just be, you know, details, technique, that kind of thing? And where do they feel like, man, we did 30% as much preparation as we normally do, but actually I feel exactly the same. So why were we doing all that stuff? Or I feel better. We didn't practice as hard. We did a lot of film work. We thought it, we didn't drill it, but I was, my body was fresher and I was just as good as a player as I ever was. I'm, I'm very curious. I think there's, we might get some surprising answers. I don't like what happened. Nobody likes what happened in week two in the NFL. Fingers crossed for every amateur college player. But I wonder if there'll be some bad, but maybe also some good that can affect us going forward. What you mentioned about lack of spring, just real quick, I, I, I do think that is going to make an interesting dilemma for some coaches that have some tough decisions to make as to whether guys really are physically ready to go on the field as true freshmen. They might be there skill-wise, talent-wise, but are they ready physically to do what they would be asked to do in a Big Ten season? Because that's all they have this year is Big Ten games. Two questions from the 3-3-0, and we'll get to those right after this. A quick break on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk, if you want to ask us questions, you can join our tech subscription at 614-350-3315. It's a 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month after that. Drop some reviews for us, if you would, on Apple Podcasts. We could use some, uh, use some fresh reviews there. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. And make sure you're subscribed to Buckeye Talk five days a week. And by the way, I mentioned earlier, this is first of my four podcasts today. I'm starting with Scott Patsko and Ellis Williams, a new Browns podcast that the plan is to go twice a week. It's going to be called Gotta Watch the Film. Is it Gotta Watch the Tape or Gotta Watch the Film? I think it's Gotta Watch the Tape. I probably should know the, the title of my own podcast. And we're going to go in depth on the Browns. We're going to have a, basically an hour long podcast. We're just going to hit two issues. Scott will bring up one issue statistically analytically or film related. And then Ellis will bring up one and then we'll dive in for half an hour on each of those topics and get really in depth. So it'll be a complimentary podcast to our orange and Brown talk podcast that we are already doing five days a week. This will be an additional thing that should be out probably on either Tuesdays and Thursdays or Tuesdays and Fridays, but we're recording the first one this Monday afternoon. And then we'll have that out on Tuesday. So if you're not subscribed to our orange and Brown talk um, it's the same place you find Buckeye talk. If you care about the Browns at all, if you just kind of care about the Browns and want to hear some in-depth football talk, uh, Scott and Ellis are really smart. They're really good. And then just like on here, I'm just going to yell. I'm just the, I'm just the dumb guy to scream and they're going to analyze football. So I think it'll be a good combination. I'm looking forward to it. Back to Buckeye talk. Biggest concern for the position groups between running back defensive line and secondary. Uh, all those spots lost either high quality guys or, or lots of numbers. And again, in our defense, we've only talked about this kind of thing 4,000 times since we went to five days a week in April. And I would imagine our individual answers over those 4,000 podcasts have been different every time we've answered this question. So we, at the moment, I cannot, I don't remember anything since all I know is that on Wednesday, the big 10 said they're playing football this fall. Anything before that is just, blackness we were in like a football coma so i don't know what we said before so what do you say now short answer because we have plenty of time to dive in for this over the next month greatest concern between running back defensive line secondary steven first regular season running back uh playoff secondary and the reason why for regular season running back is just I mean, we kind of already touched on it with the injury situation. You know, Trace Terman and Master T are coming off some injuries and they're playing eight straight games and we saw what happened in the NFL. Could that happen? 
in, in a, let's just say, a week four game where, you know, Trey Sermon takes a bad step or Master Teach takes a bad step, and now you're down a running back. And so that, that's just – I mean, in a season where you're only playing eight games, that's an issue right now. I'm not necessarily worried about necessarily the production because Justin Fields adds to that. I'm just more worried about them getting through those eight games healthy. But then in the playoff, it's clearly the secondary because now you're going to start playing top – high-level quarterbacks, whether it's, you know, Alabama's quarterback or it's Trevor Lawrence. That's a good split answer. I enjoyed that split answer. Nathan, yeah. what do you got? I, I think that was a really good split answer. I might also have a split answer now that I think about it because I think I think secondary is still potentially a, a problem from a depth. I think that's the one place where you can lose one guy and it might not even have to be Sean Wade, and you're really in a bad spot in terms of what you have depth-wise there. Um, so I, that's still a high concern. I think it is, it's definitely the difference between whether or not they can win a national championship or not. Does that, does that whole group step up and play at a national championship level? And obviously having Sean Wade back definitely helps that happen. I do think though, my, my split answer might actually be defensive line for the regular season. I still think that if you're, if you're soft up front in, in against the wrong opponent, whether that's what Penn state can do running the ball, whether that's what some other team can do running the ball, that is still potentially to me, the, the direct line to an upset. Um, because the other team can kind of control the game and, and shorten how many times Ohio State gets to have the ball with an offense as explosive as it is. And we, we don't 100% know exactly what Haskell Garrett's status is going to be right now. That's obviously a projected starter. We don't. I was told last week he is still with the team. I think things are going forward with him. But we don't know what just his medical status is right now after suffering uh, the kind of injury he suffered for, for people who don't know that he had the incident where he got shot in the face and had to be hospitalized at least briefly. So we don't know exactly what that's going to mean as far as him playing football this year. They obviously have several weeks for him to continue healing up and get back. But um, that still is a concern to me, just interior line depth and what that could mean. Uh, if, if something, if there, if somebody isn't available there on the wrong day. All right. Second question from the three, three Oh, does Ohio state starting after Clemson and Alabama give strategic advantage to Ryan day in an X's and O's sense? Alabama will play Georgia two weeks before Ohio State kicks off. It seems like Ryan Day will get valuable time when he isn't in a game week to scout. I know he is still prepping for Nebraska. Just seems like he'll have more time to really focus on the elite competition they will see at the end of the year. I love this question, and I think the answer is yes. I think it's one of those things that's like, you know, you, you in a season, everybody's like, oh, you know, we're just thinking about the next opponent. Yeah, take out one week out of time, everybody. And then at the end of the year, sometimes I'll say things like, Oh, yeah, we were, like, preparing for Michigan, like, since the Rutgers game. We didn't care about Rutgers at all that week. We were just working on Michigan. So if it turns out that, you know, they play, they beat Alabama in the playoff, and Ryan Day's like, oh, yeah, you should have seen me in early October. I didn't even know who we were playing. People were like, oh, Ryan, we have Nebraska in three weeks. And I was like, I don't care. I'm watching Dylan Moses, man. I don't care about Nebraska. Like, I think that could be real. Because I do, th I mean, when you're trying, when you're in it, you're in it. And these guys are used to being in it from the beginning of August until the end of the bowl. And they've had all this time. So I think you can overanalyze yourself into oblivion. And Ryan Day's a doodler. Go read my doodle story from a year ago. He wants to come up with stuff. But the idea of I'm not necessarily coming up with stuff from, for just for us, I'm watching Bama. I'm seeing what they're doing against Georgia and I'm locking in on it and I'm studying it and I'm watching Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence just played, has played twice, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. Twice. Trevor Lawrence played twice. I actually think it's a great question. What do we think? Maybe strategic advantage for Ohio state in some way, Steven? The advantage is the fact that Clemson and Alabama are going to play more games in Ohio state. <clears throat> so they're just going to have more on film that you can look at. 
while the Ohio State – I mean, Ohio State only has eight games. And I know the, the, they're good at what they do, but the more games you have, the more snaps you have to look at the team, the more you get the, a chance to look at their tendencies in comparison to with Ohio State. It's, it's eight games are still a lot of games, but it's not, you know, ten. So I just think that's part of the advantage is getting – you have more on film to go off of with, with Clemson and Alabama because there's more games to look at. Yeah, I don't think that's it. I don't think it's a difference between eight and 10 games. I think it's time. The question's about time. Do you have more time yourself to scout other teams? I don't think it's about there. We have two fewer games on film. I think, well, I do think, I think it's I do prep think, time. I do think it's potentially important what those extra early games are though. And in the case of Alabama, it's going to be Texas A&M and Georgia, two of the games that they're going to play before Ohio state plays its first game. So those are two games where you would presume they're going to have to, it's not, they're not setting everybody down at halftime against the Citadel. That's two full games. They're going to have to play at least that I think you do get to have a, a, a get more of an opinion than if they're just out there crushing nobody. So I think it's something that Ohio state can use to its advantage. I, Coaches are, are a little bit paranoid, though, or a lot paranoid. So I don't know how a much lot. you – I don't know how much you go fully – I mean, you might you might delegate, like, one staffer to do some cut-ups of those teams or something. But I, I think that you also – in the always in the back of your mind, aren't you going to be wondering, like, oh, we screwed up and, and didn't beat Michigan. Like, did we waste time doing film on Oklahoma, who isn't even going to make the playoff now? Like, I think there's some of that paranoia, too. They don't want to go too overboard on that kind of thing. Nah. It's not, they're scouting Oklahoma. What are they going to go? They're they, they going to a junior Whatever. high school. They're going to a junior well, high school in Oklahoma. Try okay, to figure but, out who the Sooners are playing this week. Who their defense going against? I'm just saying, like, take last year, take last year, and move it into this year. And if you're thinking about, well, are they going to do a bunch of scouting on Alabama early? Well, what good would that have done them? They didn't. Alabama didn't even make the playoff. So that's the so, other thing. Like, you've so your be, point on why they should scout Alabama is the fact that for the first time ever in the playoff era, Alabama last year didn't make the playoff. So don't waste your time on Bama. I'm simply trying to put myself in the mind of a college coach who's going to say, this is, this is a thing I can use to my advantage, but only to an extent. I'm not going to overcommit to this. You think Alabama's going to be in the playoff? I think Alabama could be the best team in the country. We'll find you think, out. You think Clemson's going to be in the playoff? Yes. Okay. Yeah, me too. You know who else thinks they're both going to be in the playoff? Ryan Day. Ryan Day. You know who's going to be watching Alabama, Georgia with a notepad? Ryan Day. Doodling. Doodling. Hey, doodle. Hey, Saban. How you like this doodle, Nicky boy? 419, how does the lack of non-conference games plus a difficult early schedule change the way you think about the freshman receiver's impact on this team, if at all? So that is the one thing sort of when we talked about, oh, no preseason games for the NFL. College never has preseason games anyway, but you do have the non-conference where you could have worked, you know, we know who the four freshman receivers are. They would have had a chance to work in against Bowling Green, would have had to be ready for Oregon, work in against Buffalo again, like ease in a little bit. Um, this has been a, an overriding thing. And I would just like to preface everything with the idea that our answer to everything football related at the moment is we don't know because they're, they haven't put on pads yet and we haven't watched anything and we haven't talked to anybody. <laughs> Buckeye talk. We have no information. So I don't know, but we like talking about football. So again, we've talked about it a million different ways, but Steven, that idea that they're coming in and like it's Penn state week two and there's no Mac teams. How does that specifically affect Julian Fleming and G Scott and everybody else? It might affect where Justin Fields goes with the ball more or not, especially in those first two games. Um, I'm just looking at what obviously Chris Olave didn't start playing too late in the season. And yes, Garrett Wilson was a part of the rotation the entire season, but he clearly got better throughout the season to the point that once he got to the Michigan game, he was probably the best receiver in that game. 
But it took some weeks for him to, you know, build up to that. And so maybe in that Penn State game, that Nebraska game, if for some reason it's tight, which I don't think it will be, Justin will just rely on Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave for the bulk of the game to try to ease the pressure off of some of those freshmen. I don't know. I mean, if it's still going to be a six-man rotation at those three spots, I mean, Garrett Wilson, yeah, he definitely grew. His role grew over the course of the year. He improved over the course of the year. But he was still in there mixing it up early in the season in those early games. I mean, he still had rotational role there. So I could definitely see some of these two freshmen still having a rotational role. The other thing to remember is I think these guys are going to get all the reps they want from weeks three through seven for the most part. Like I think they could be out there a lot in the second half of those games. So I think it it almost could be very similar to to Garrett Wilson last year. Those guys are going to get, I think, an opportunity to really – grow into their whatever role they could have and maybe be just as big of an impact at the end of the season as they were always were going to be. Yeah, I just think the only game, the Penn State game is the only game where that's not the case. And to that point, Garrett Wilson had one catch against them in the Nebraska game, which was the only big game of the early season. I guess, I guess use, it, that's harder to predict. I mean, it's like, it, there's a difference between usage and um, like featuring them. And I, I think the usage will probably be the same. Like the number of snaps, like somebody from that group is going to have to be on the field in, the, in that six-man rotation early on, assuming it's six or five or whatever it is, depending on what they do with Garrett Wilson at the slot. Like some of those two freshmen are going to have to be involved with that. So usage, I don't know that I'm changing my thought. Now, in your case, yes, the, the, the way they're featured, the way they're actually used, which is different than usage um, in, this, in, in my brain anyway, um, it could be different at least for that one week. What were you referencing, the Nebraska game last year, Stephen? Yeah, where he had the okay. one uh, six-yard touchdown catch. So the wide receiver snap counts from our friends at 11 Warriors, as always. Last year, the breakdown of snap counts in the Nebraska game, K.J. Hill 42, Ben Victor 40, Austin Mack 35, Chris Olave 29, Garrett Wilson 27. So again, we know that, that K.J. Hill was kind of taking all the, the slot snaps, but those four outside spots, you know, if it, uh, Ben Victor – 40, Mac 35, Olave 29, Garrett Wilson 27. So a few, a couple fewer for Garrett Wilson, but in the mix. I think it's more about, I think to me it would be more about what we've talked about a lot, which is does somebody get beaten out? Does Jalen Harris, you know, get his way into the rotation because maybe the, the freshmen are thrown off? But I'm just making sure, I swear to God, I got to look at the roster again. Okay, so they got <laughs> the three veteran receivers are Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams. And by veteran, I mean non-true freshmen, right? So those are going to be three of the guys who play a lot. Yeah. And then they need three other guys to play. Unless for some reason, like Garrett Wilson takes all the slot snaps or whatever. But then those other freshmen are the leading contenders for those other three spots, right? That we're anticipating that it very well will be, could be Jamison or Julian Fleming, G Scott and Jackson Smith, Najigba as those, the other three guys in that six-man rotation, unless Jalen Harris or somebody older beats one of them out. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, Harris is going to be my example. Like, unless early on, maybe he has an edge on some of the true freshmen. But who has that edge in week one might be very different than who has that edge in week eight. We saw that a little bit last year because Wilson's role, like you said, grew. They'll right, probably so- rotated in a way where there's always at least one of those vets on the field on the outside. You think they'll pair the rotation so that it's old guy – Young and, guy. And, and a, yeah, maybe it's Chris Olave and Julian Fleming, or it's, you know, Jamison Williams and G. Scott. Instead of having I – mean, it might start off with, you know, Jamison Williams and Chris Olave start the game, but as the game rotates on, you'll have a vet and a young guy instead of just having a situation where you've got two young guys on the field at the same time. That's interesting. I bet that they don't care. 
but that's an interesting idea of if we have three, I mean, would you get into a world where it's like, yeah, the starters are Jamison Williams, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and the second team when we rotate are the three true freshmen and you have three true freshmen on the field together. Maybe you would want to avoid that, but I feel like sometimes we overthink things like this and they're just yeah. like, we rotate six receivers. What are you talking about? We have, there's yeah. two guys in each of the three spots and they rotate. However they rotate is how they rotate. We have equal belief in both guys in each rotation. And if we didn't have equal belief, they wouldn't be in the rotation. So we don't care. Like, I, I think sometimes they're a little more like that than we are. All right. We're going to stop with this one because uh, we're keeping it tight. From the 813, will we ever live in a world where a former Buckeye can make a simple play in the NFL? This is my kind of question, by the way, which is why I'm, I'm using it. I thought maybe you wrote it. <laughs> yeah, I think you asked this question. Can make a simple play in the NFL without Buckeye Nation acting like they are reading an erotic novel. For instance, two weeks ago, Chase Young got a sack and Jordan Fuller made a tackle on fourth down. And OSU fans are throwing themselves on the floor and acting like it was a Santonio Holmes catching that game-winning Super Bowl catch. No other fan base on Twitter acts like this, and I find it embarrassing. I, th I think it's a funny question <laughs> from the 813. I don't know. Uh, Nathan, do you notice this? Do you agree with the premise that, that Buckeye Nation overreacts to Ohio State players doing well in the NFL? Overreacts? I don't know. I mean, there's, there's obviously been, you know, especially that first week, I think there was a big reaction. And I think there's some recency bias here in this question a little bit because you had a, a situation where rookies were making their NFL debut in just a huge way for Ohio state. Like I, I quibble with some of like the Jordan Fuller play was not a nothing play. Like that was a tough play to make. And it saved a game. Like it, they, they won the game because of that play. Like that's like not nothing. A guy playing his first, a sixth round draft pick playing his first NFL game comes in and makes that huge play. And in, in a, in a very visible way. I mean, I think, I don't, I don't think that was making too much of that play. Uh, it would be one thing if it's um, now I will say also like, you know, yesterday people were oh, Ezekiel Elliott running in for a touchdown. Look at that big guy, like completely ignoring the two fumbles that he had before that. Like some some of that happens, but that happens with with every fan base. It probably happens with the Cowboys' own like social media and stuff. So I, I don't know that people really overreact. Uh, this is a this is a rabid fan base, and it, I think it's almost refreshing that they keep some connection to their former players when they go off to the NFL and aren't just done with them. Although I think there are some, including this texter, who are. It's, it's when you talk about, I mean, Chase Young's first sack of his career was a sack he kind of patented when he was at Ohio State. That was a strip sack. So, yeah, you got a little more excited because you got to see that, you know, for 14 games last season. But, no, it's not going to stop. They're Ohio State fans, and the uh, Ohio State's Twitter page is going to continue to, you know, promote it. So, no, it's not going anywhere. And also, Ohio State fans don't have Ohio State players to root for right now. So, that might also be, when you're talking yeah. about recency bias, I think that also factored into this. Like, I think they're excited to be rooting for Ohio State players playing football. The only option they have right now is to root for the ones that are in the NFL. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought of that. I will say, it wasn't like this a couple of years ago. I mean, there was a time when it was like when you were rooting for Ohio State guys. In recent history, in the NFL, you were like, oh, Kurt Coleman had a good game. And I'm not taking a shot at Kurt Coleman, but it's like, it's not, I, I wrote forever. As good as Ohio State was in the Trestle era, they were not. When you looked in the NFL, the NFL superstars were not filled with, with Ohio State guys. It was just a reality. And now, as we've talked a million times, and we don't talk about it a ton on here, but it's like they have the best receiver. They have the best running back. They have Nick Bosa, before he got hurt, was being picked by people to be the defensive player of the year. Chase Young's probably going to be the defensive rookie of the year, just like Nick Bosa was last year. Who's chasing – Who's going head to head with Patrick Mahomes in that game and trying to chase him down? And is like Patrick Mahomes is equal, closest thing to equal on the field. 
in that game Sunday is Joey Bosa, right? I mean, there's just – there are guys now all over the place. Terry McLaurin, you watch the Redskins, and it's Dwayne Haskins throwing to Terry Mc- – not the Redskins. I said it. The Washington football, football team. team. It's Dwayne Haskins throwing to Terry McLaurin with Chase Young in defense. Dwayne Haskins threw a pass to Marcus Ball on Sunday. Marcus Ball caught an NFL pass. I couldn't believe it. But they're everywhere now. And if you're just jumping in right now, I get the idea. And I'm as cynical as anybody. Nah, I'm, not, I'm not as cynical as anybody. I'm more cynical than anybody. I'm the most <laughs> cynical person on the Ohio State beat, and it's not close. So I'm also like, God, I, I, I get it, yes. But I'm telling you, this was not where Ohio State fans were when they watched on Sundays eight years ago. You could not flip on any game and be like, impact Buckeye, impact Buckeye, impact Buckeye, impact Buckeye. If you're flipping around this red zone channel now, there's a Buckeye that matters in every single game, every single week. And that is kind of new. And if you think it's bad now, just imagine when Justin Fields is in the NFL next year and if he pops. And they've never had like a super, super, super duper impact quarterback, like ever. So yeah, that's the deal. That's why they're into it. All right, I got to go talk on the, Browns, on the Browns podcast. The Browns guys are getting antsy. Thanks to you guys for listening to Buckeye Talk. We're coming back Wednesday with the big, big 10. Make your perfect conference for the Buckeyes. We're coming back with that on Wednesday. We're going to get our tech subscribers involved. Thanks for you guys for being involved by earing us up and listening to Buckeye Talk. So for Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.